Our scripture reading this morning is Romans 4, 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Abby. <clears throat> Good morning, Covenant. I'm sorry, you're not Covenant Church, are you? <laughs> I knew that was gonna happen one morning. I've, I've thought about that forever, that one morning, just on autopilot, <clears throat> it's been a rough week. Um, Good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. I'm so glad you guys are gracious people. <laughs> well, human history, uh, it's littered with examples of misunderstandings. You just saw an example of one of those. <clears throat> Sometimes uh, they're examples that have dramatic impact. Sometimes they are mundane in nature. Uh, here's an example of a dramatic misunderstanding. In 1998, uh, NASA's Mars Climate Orbiter uh, crashed in dramatic fashion. And, and why did it crash? Well, on the orbiter, it was using the metric system and the ground navigation system, it was using the English system, right? That's a big, big misunderstanding and probably costs hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, a mundane example of a misunderstanding is uh, the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. Uh, legend has it when the Spanish conquistadors landed there, they wanted to know where they were. They found the, the first unsuspecting Mayan native, and they asked him, well, where are we? And he says, in his language, Yucatan, which means, hey, dude, I have no idea what you're saying to me. <clears throat> And the, the Spanish uh, conquistador concluded, well, this is Yucatan, and, and that's how it got its name. <clears throat> well, all of us probably, you know, when it comes to religion, we come to religion probably with 
some misunderstandings and misconceptions. You know, I know when I grew up, I grew up in the church, and I concluded that to be right with God, I had to do what church people do. And, and what do church people do? They, they go to church. Uh, I went to youth group. I went to church. Uh, I went to Sunday school. I observed the sacraments. I did all these things because I thought that's how you got right with God. And maybe you've come in uh, to church this morning with that same idea that, that to have faith means that I have to do all of these things. Now, I can't think of a more important topic uh, in all of the world to not have a misunderstanding about than what it means to have faith or how do you get right with God. Uh, in our passage this morning, the Jews they had misconceptions about their own religion. And in the passage this morning, Paul is going to address some of their misconceptions about faith and show that it is by faith alone that you are justified. Uh, he's going to show it firstly by showing the continuity of faith. He's going to bring out two outstanding examples from their history. He's going to bring out Abraham. He's going to bring out David and show them that, that it has always been justification by grace through faith. And then he's going to move on into his argument, and he's going to show that the community of faith is so much larger than they can imagine. It's not just the Jews. It includes also the Gentiles, the rest of the world. And then he's going to show them the character of faith, the ordinary character of faith, and it's simply walking in the footsteps of their father, Abraham. That's what we're going to look at in the passage this morning, the, the continuity of faith, the community of faith, and the character of faith. So let's look at that first one, the continuity of faith. Now, the Jews had this misconception about their religion. Some of them thought that it was simply, hey, we are sons of Abraham, meaning our heritage, that, that's, that's enough. That guarantees our standing before God. Uh, some would rely on fulfilling the works of the law, and, and they trusted in that. Uh, some would rely on that defining mark of circumcision. And, and Paul, he is anticipating these arguments. Uh, if you were here with us last week, you would have thought, well, in, in last week's passage, Paul has covered justification, redemption, propitiation. Uh, shouldn't the case be closed now? But he understands where the Jews are, that they have things rolling around in their head. They have potential things that they've got to sort out, that they've maybe misunderstood about their religion. And so how does Paul address them? He brings out Abraham. He brings out David, and he shows them that justification by grace through faith, it's not a new concept. It's not something new that, that Paul is now introducing. Actually, it has existed forever. The Old Testament saints, they were justified in the very same way. Let's look at that first example, Abraham, in verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What Paul is doing here, he's quoting from Genesis 15, 6. He's quoting from their own Bible to say 
that Abraham, he was justified not by what he did. He was not justified by who he was, by, but he was justified by grace through faith. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And so you may think to yourself when you hear this, well, isn't belief, isn't, isn't faith something that he had to do? Is it, isn't it some kind of work? Isn't it because he believed God that he merited the righteousness of Christ? Uh, I love it, the, the fact that, uh, um, that Mark read Ephesians uh, 2 this morning for us. And it really shows us uh, the nature of faith. Let me, let me read again Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is not your own doing. It is not a result of works. It is a gift of God. Scripture assures us that faith is something that is given to us as a gift by God. So then, how are we to understand how does faith operate in justification. In your bulletins, and it'll be on the screen as well, I, I love how B.B. Warfield puts it so that we can understand this concept. <clears throat> Warfield was a theologian at Princeton University. This is what he says. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves. That may sound like a heretical statement, but, but follow along his argument. But Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith or the attitude of faith or the nature of faith, but in the object of faith. You see what he's saying there. He's saying that faith is an instrument through which we are saved. Faith is an instrument. It's not, it's not faith itself the, power, the saving power doesn't reside in our faith. The saving power resides in the object, in Jesus. Now, in pastoral ministry, I, I, I run up against uh, this issue quite often, trying to understand what, what does it mean to have faith? Uh, especially when I, I talk with young believers or new believers, they often struggle with assurance uh, that they, they truly are a child of God. And why is that? Because they're looking at their faith and they say, well, my faith is so weak. I, I don't think it's good enough. And they're, they're comparing themselves to others. They even look in the Bible and see the giants of faith and they, they think their faith is not good enough. They're focusing on the strength, the quality of their faith. They're not focusing and being reminded of the object of their faith. The saving power resides in the object of our faith, not in the strength of our faith itself. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Like the Jews, when you come in this morning, you're thinking about your faith and you're thinking a little bit confused that, that maybe you have to add a little bit of something to your faith, that you have to strengthen your faith. Maybe you've misunderstood the good news of the gospel of grace. And this quote is saying that it's the object of our faith that matters. 
Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus has completed the work. He has done everything that we could not do. And Paul is bringing Abraham on the, on the center stage and showing us that Abraham, he is counted righteous not because of the strength of his faith, not because of the deeds that he has done, but because he has believed in God. Secondly, we, uh, Paul brings out the illustration of David. We see this in verses six through eight. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. And there's that word again. We see it over and over again. We actually see it eight times in this passage. Count, count, count. If you were with us last week, you know that that's an, that's an accounting term. It means to impute or credit, or if you're from the South, you'll use an older word, reckon. It's credited to you. And Paul here is quoting from Psalm 32, and he's providing a little bit of the interpretation for us as he looks back at Scripture. He says that righteousness is credited, counted, apart from works. And that for David, there is forgiveness of sins, that his sins would be covered They would not be held against him. Now, this would be a very powerful illustration for the Jews. And why is that? Well, they knew about David's history. David was a liar. David was a deceiver. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. David was a king who abused his position and his power. And in justification, God declares him righteous, not because he made up for all those bad things that he did. He declares him righteous according to faith. And it's a wonderful thing when we look at justification that it's not only that God declares us righteous, our status before him is perfect and clean, but not only that, that he doesn't hold our sin against us. Our sins are covered. He does not count it against us. And you may think of David and say, how can that be? How can that be? You just said he was a liar. He was a murderer, an adulterer. He, he was an abusive leader. You know, uh, I want to bring this a, a little bit more home to you this morning. Um, David's a little bit distant in our, in our history. If you're older here this, this morning, you may know the name Jeffrey Dahmer. If you're younger, you probably haven't heard of him. Jeffrey Dahmer, he wreaked havoc on families and communities. He was known as a vicious killer, a murderer, a sex offender. He killed 15 people. And you know what happened? He was in prison, and in 1994, this is what happened. He repented. He looked deep at his sin and his evil, and he repented, and he embraced Jesus by faith. And you may wonder, what are the limits of God's grace? Does it include people like Jeffrey Dahmer? Does it include people like David? 
And yes, that is the good news this morning for us. It includes ugly sin, just like that, just, just like the ugly sin that you and I also have. And there's a part of you this morning that may, may be hearing this, and, and you're unsatisfied. You're unsatisfied because you think that justice has not been satisfied here. How could God do something like that? How could God cover that sin? How could God not hold that sin against them? How could he forgive it? And I just want to take you back and remind you what we talked about last week, that word propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath, deserved wrath, murder, adultery, killing people, sex offending. It all deserves the wrath of God. And the wonderful news this morning is that's the wrath we deserve, but it was poured out on God's precious dearly beloved son for us. That is the extent of God's grace. That's the heart of compassion and mercy that he has towards his people that he would forgive our ugly sin. And so this idea of justification by grace through faith, it's not a new idea. It's not a new idea. Those Old Testament saints, they looked forward in faith to the provision of Jesus. We in the New Testament, we look backwards in faith to Jesus already come, his provision for us. The Jews had misconceptions about it. Surely they would have thought, yeah, faith is necessary. They understood faith, that, that it was necessary. It's part of the ingredients. But where did they go wrong? They went wrong by adding things to faith. What misconceptions have you brought to your faith this morning? Have you, in subtle ways, added something to the work of Jesus? Or maybe you're here this morning, that's a settled thing for you. you you're, you're clear on that topic. It's Jesus alone. It's by faith alone, through Jesus alone, by God's grace alone, that I am made right with God. But maybe... You're living the Christian life not by faith, but you feel like, like I did as a kid, that, that I have to do religious things just like everybody around me to have right standing with God. And this is not also, this is not the gospel of grace. This is adding to the finished work, the completed work of Jesus on our behalf Paul is taking great pains. After he's explained the gospel in its fullness, he's taking great pains now to, to deal with the Jews and help them with their misunderstandings about what it means to have faith. Secondly, he talks about the community of faith. And I want to focus your attention on verse 11. He received, that's Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And now Paul is turning his attention. He's, he's continuing to correct misconceptions that the Jews have. And this misconception is about who are the community of faith. 
And he does it by pointing out the chronology, the order of events in Abraham's life. And what is that order? He shows and says that Abraham had faith first. He had faith first, and then he was circumcised. Why why is Paul taking such pains to show the order of events here? Well, it says that the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. The emphasis here is on belief. It's on faith. It's not on the sign of circumcision. Righteousness is credited through faith, not through circumcision. And for modern audiences, for us this morning, we probably can't grasp uh, how deep of an issue this was for the early church to grapple with. Why is that? Well, because circumcision for the early church, for the Jews, it was the defining mark. It was the defining mark that separated them from everyone else on the planet. It marked them as God's special covenant people. Yes, true. What was the problem, though, for them? They, they had put their confidence, their emphasis, their assurance on what the sign itself and not what the sign pointed to. They had misplaced their confidence. They had misunderstood the significance of circumcision. They put the value on the wrong thing. For us, a direct parallel would be for us to put our confidence in our baptism and say we have right standing with God because we have been baptized. And here, Paul's argument, surely, surely, this is, this is a great application for us to, to, to seal this home that we are not saved by our baptism. We're not saved by our baptism. We're not saved by our works. This is the great argument that Paul is making. Christ alone is sufficient. And the people of God, the community of faith, is defined by the people who have faith. The people who believe, whether they've been circumcised or baptized or not. You see, what the Jews are doing here is they were narrowing down who are the people of God. They're narrowing it down. They're adding to the centrality of faith alone, that Jesus is enough. I wonder in what ways uh, in the modern church have we narrowed down who are the true people of God? You may have run across people that have that attitude that there are only certain people who are the true, true people of God. I was on a pastor's retreat a couple weeks ago Uh, What was wonderful to me about this was it was pastors from all over the U.S. Uh, I was sharing a cabin with them. And these are guys that they're not in our denomination. In fact, none of them were. Uh, There were Baptists and uh, folks without denomination, other denominations. Uh, And as we talked over the campfire at night, uh, it was clear that we had all sorts of theological differences. But you know what was so beautiful to me as we had those discussions? There was one thing, one central thing that we agreed on, and that is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. 
The kingdom of God is so much bigger than we can imagine. Yes, when we get to heaven, it's going to include Baptists, right? And Pentecostals and Anglicans and non-denominational folks. And we like to narrow down who is in the right tribe. Paul is saying here, he's showing the example of Abraham by the chronology of his faith, that faith that the gospel is for everyone, it's for all. The community of faith is open to all. One of the sad things as I think about society living in our society today, and you you all are observing this real time, there's anger, there's angst. It's brewing. It's simmering below the surface, and it's exploding out left and right in various venues. Our, our society is, is drawing lines. It's getting more and more divided, more and more tribes. And here's the good news. The only hope, the only hope for the city and the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only hope to break down these walls is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only solution to the problems that we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we add to the gospel of Jesus, when we add things to it, we destroy its saving power. When we plant our flag on non-essentials of the faith, What we're doing is we're creating more walls. We're creating unnecessary divisions in the body of Christ. Hey, when we get there in heaven, all of these theological divisions are going to be sorted out for us. We have to major on the majors, and the major thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only hope for this world. We have got to get that clear. We've got to get it crystal clear. So my challenge to you is what hill are you willing to die on? What hill are you willing to die on? Go on social media and look. You can see what hills people are willing to die on. It's all sorts of things. Even for Christians, we, we are passionate. We'll die on all sorts of hills. We'll, we'll, we'll engage in all sorts of arguments. I encourage you, the only hill that's worth dying on is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The community of faith is so much larger than we can imagine. Lastly, let's close with the character of faith. We, we can see this in verse 12. And it says, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Lastly here, Paul is pointing again to Abraham as an illustration, and he's giving us a glimpse, a small glimpse of the character of faith. What does faith look like? Faith is walking in the footsteps of Father Abraham. Now, if we were to open the Bible and look at the life of Abraham, we're going to find all sorts of rich examples of what it looks like to have faith. And I want to focus on just one aspect of it. Really, it's rooted in the passage here. The footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I want to take you back to Genesis 12. And let me read a couple verses for you here. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. What does it look like to walk in the footsteps of Father Abraham? Can you imagine what God is calling him to do here? He settled down in a land and God says to him, you are to pick up, you are to leave, you are to go to a land I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you. Leave your friends, leave your house, leave your job, leave your community and go. Start walking and I'm gonna show you where to go. It's interesting, Hebrews in chapter 11 says that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And so what is the character of Abraham's faith? Abraham obeyed God. His faith was expressed in obedience to God. He got up and he went. He got up and he went. He started walking. What is the character of faith? How will you demonstrate faith? Start walking in the direction that God is telling you to walk. And some of you this morning in your mind, you're, you're thinking, well, I'm in a waiting pattern, which most of us are in a waiting pattern. We're waiting for that next thing, right? The next job, the next relationship, the next, where am I gonna go, the school, what, what job, what city? And we can get hung up with these big, big questions of life and not realize that God has called us not to that giant step, but he's called us to take just one step. One simple step of obedience. It might be that the way we get to that big step is we're taking little steps in obedience to God. Little steps in obedience. And God is leading us to that destination. But surely, to be in the footsteps of Abraham, we have to take small steps of faith first. So the question for you this morning is, what has God already shown you? You're waiting on his will to be determined, to be revealed, but what has God shown you already? Maybe he has shown you to you over and over again, that little thing, that little sin. Maybe it's a relationship that you ought to restore or repair. Maybe it's a coworker to invite out to dinner. Maybe for you this morning, it's, it's taking that very first step of faith to put your trust in Jesus. How is God calling you to demonstrate your faith this morning? I have a good, good friend back at Covenant in Palm Bay, and I love what he, he, he says this over and over to me, he says, faith is doing the next right thing that God has shown you. Faith is doing the next right thing that God has shown you. What is the next right thing that God has shown you? He's shown all of us something, I'm sure, over and over again. What is the next thing that God is calling to you? Will you, in faith, follow in the footsteps 
of Abraham. Walk in obedience because of his great love for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you. You are a God of grace and compassion. We think, of, we think of David's life and we wonder, how could your grace encompass such a person? We even know of people in our own lives and people uh, we see on TV and wonder, how could your grace encompass a person like that? And yet it does. And for those who are in Christ Jesus this morning, it encompasses us as well in our sin. You have covered our sin. You will not hold it against us because of your great love and compassion. And Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise and all the glory this morning for the great work you do in your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.